Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare. And no women, you will wow. Just declaim a few lines. Hello, Shannon Riley here, inviting you to join me every Sunday here on KSCF as I talk Shakespeare on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. Every Sunday at 8 and 8, archived here at Kansas 785 Live, as well as on my own website, ShannonJRiley.com. Join me and let's talk a little bit about the bar on KSCF every Sunday, 8 to 8. listening to KSEF, a digital broadcast in Topeka, brought to you by 785 Magazine. Learn more at 785live.com. And now it's time for Shannon Shakespeare Sunday with your host, my daddy, Shannon Riley. Hello again and welcome to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF Digital Radio 75 Live. I'm Shannon Riley. Thank you, BB, for introducing me once again. And thank you all for tuning in to the only half hour in Northeast Kansas dedicated to the works of William Shakespeare. As I said, my name is Shannon Riley. I am a Shakespeare fanatic. I don't claim to be a scholar, but I love talking about Shakespeare. I love reading about Shakespeare. I love the works of William Shakespeare. And I've been going through his works one play at a time, and I've finally landed here at my favorite play of them all, The Tempest. And oddly enough, it's his last. Now, he does have two more plays attributed to him that come after this, but they're co-written, and how much he wrote of those other plays is still a good question. But this was Shakespeare. This was his final work. This was the work where he said goodbye to the world of London and theater and returned to Stratford-upon-Avon to serve out the rest of his life. But before he goes, he leaves behind what is simply a sublime, beautiful play. Now, as in his other later plays, it doesn't fit as a comedy, it doesn't fit as a tragedy, doesn't fit as a history for sure, so it lands in that category of romance. And romance was the category most of his final plays ended up finding themselves in. And all of the romances deal with, as I say, this question of a father and his daughter. And that's front and center in this play. This relationship with a father and a daughter. Matter of fact, the only female in the play is Prospero's daughter. And it's her safety and her continued growth as an individual that dominates Prospero's concerns. This is truly a remarkable play. I'm going to give you the synopsis in just a little bit. But as always, I want to first visit the quotes. And I also got to say this. This play really solidified in my mind as a young man that Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. You can hear in his voice the struggle he had being separated from his family, his concern about whether or not he can go on, and his desire to retire and go home. And this relationship that he has with his daughter, the need to be there finally for his children. I think it's beyond a doubt after you read this play or see this play that you got to know the inner workings of William Shakespeare, where his mind was at, what he was thinking. And this is the play that tells it the most. Ah, oh, I love this play. As always, I turn to my boy first, who is going to give us our favorite quotes. So, Finn, what's it time for? 
And now, the Shakespeare quote of the week. I could quote this whole play. I'm not going to, but I could. But this is a play about a guy who was once the king of Milan. He was once in charge of the, everything in the world, and now he's been relegated to a castaway on an island. But oh, what an island. It happens to be a magical island filled with magical beings and magical powers that he conquers and controls. He becomes a wizard. Magic dominates all of Shakespeare's later plays. Magic, music, dance, mosque. To describe mosque is like this. The, the, the mosque was a very simple, common thing in Jacobean drama. These were innate dances that symbolized order over chaos. Mosque was always, always preceded with an anti-mosque, a, a dance of absolute chaotic violence, something that would be it's hard to take it all in. It'd be too loud. It would be too fast. And then the mosque would come in and bring order to the chaos. He uses this here, but he separates it. He starts with a mosque. The mosque is the storm of the tempest itself, and it eventually grows into the marriage mosque when his daughter becomes betrothed to a prince. This is really magical. If you haven't seen The Tempest, please do yourself a favor. Go see The Tempest. But here, let me go through some of his great quotes here that I really, really love. The very first, he mentions about how he was so prospero, that's our hero in the show, and who I believe is Shakespeare in an autobiographical form. Prospero says he once was a duke that ruled Milan, but now he's cast away. But he got cast away because he was so engrossed in his books. And he says, my library was dukedom large enough. Act 1, Scene 2. This desire to read, to own books, to have knowledge. This is the mind of a writer. This is the mind of William Shakespeare. Caliban, who's a monster he finds on the island and subjugates. Caliban in Act 1, Scene 2 says, In bitterness towards Prospero, For I am all the subjects that you have, which first was mine own king. Caliban used to have this island to himself. Well, the other magical beings were there, but he was the biggest one. And now he is subjugated by Prospero. Triculo, one of the clowns in the play, says in Act 2, Scene 2, Misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows. <laughs> we still use that phrase today. Caliban also says in Act 2, Scene 2, when he meets up with the clowns, Hast thou not dropped from heaven? But it's this speech in Act 4, Scene 1, by Prospero, towards the end of the play, where he drowns his book of magic, where he surrenders, is really an autobiographical statement of him saying goodbye to the theater. And he even uses theater references within this speech saying he is retiring. So I'm going to read this speech. I'm not much of an actor, but I really love the flow of this speech. And it has in it, it ends with my favorite Shakespeare quote of all. He says, Our revels are now ended. These are actors, as I foretold to you, were all spirits and melted into air, into thin air. And... Like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers and the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which inherit shall dissolve, and, like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a rack behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. That is just the most beautiful speech to me that Shakespeare ever wrote, because it really does bespeak him, that artist, saying, all that I've done in my life, 
All of the work was all an illusion. It was all fake, and it will all go away. It'll all fade out of existence, even the globe itself, because we are such stuff as dreams are made on. I just find that beautiful. That's just a so poignant way of saying what an artist is and what Shakespeare has become. There are lots of quotes in this play, and I could go on forever, and I'm probably already boring you with it. But I will say that there is several things about this play that not only speak about Shakespeare and his life, but what was happening in the Jacobean world at this time. For you see, we were getting more and more involved in this period. This is 1611, by the way, when this play was written. European nation, they were discovering the Americas. And they were going back and forth more and more. And the excitement and the thrill of this exotic new world that was being found is throughout this play. And it is Shakespeare's desire to not only see this new world, but to leave it alone. There was this great fear of subjugating what was out there, of colonialism. And Shakespeare speaks about its danger in this play. So he's not only talking about his life, he's talking about the life around him and what he is leaving when he leaves London. So, buckle up. We're going to be talking about The Tempest, the play about a great storm that really takes place in the first five minutes of the play. But it's the wreck after the storm. That is the story itself. Okay, so we open up the play in Act 1. We are on a Mediterranean island. It's a, a beautiful, lush landscape. You see, you see palm trees. You see a beautiful coast. And the idea here is that we are really in the New World. He uses the Mediterranean because he always uses the Mediterranean. But he uses this as the backdrop, but he's really writing about is the new world. Now, on this island, we find Prospero, who has been banished to this island by his brother, King Alonso of Naples, who has taken away his kingdom and stranded him many years ago with his infant daughter on this small little island. Now, King Alonso happens to be on board a ship floating past this island, when a storm comes up, a huge storm. What he doesn't know is that storm is being created by Prospero himself. He is controlling the power of the storm to cause it to lash against the ship and demolish it. His plan is to shipwreck them all aboard his tiny island. This storm shipwrecks them all. From the island, though, Prospero, who is the former Duke of Milan, watches the storm as it shipwrecks with his 15-year-old daughter, Miranda. Miranda is terrified for the ship's crew. She thinks, surely they have died. But Prospero promised her everything is fine. And he decides to open up about his past. And he tells her how 12 years earlier, when she was just three years old, his brother Antonio had deposed him in a coup. And with the aid of Gonzalo, Prospero had escaped in a boat with the infant Miranda and all of his books of magic. And they traveled to this island and made it their home. There they enslave the native islander, a big monster by the name of Caliban. The only other inhabitants are spirits, including Ariel, another one of his servants, whom Prospero had rescued because she was, she, he, can be played either way, was imprisoned in a tree. Now, since Antonio's boat has been shipwrecked right on his island, Prospero hopes to rectify his past. He puts Miranda to sleep with a spell, and he discusses his role in the shipwreck with Ariel. They plot about what they're going to do once the men reach the shore. Immediately, they have them separated. The courtiers from the ship are cast ashore unharmed, but the king is near despair because he believes his son Ferdinand was simply drowned. Ferdinand actually did not drown. 
but arrives safely on a different part of the island, where he is forced to run into and meet with Miranda, and the two of them instantly fall in love. Prospero, fearing for his daughter, captures Ferdinand and forces him to carry wood, and warns him of trying to enjoy the beauties of a young woman too soon. In the meantime, Ariel is desperate for his freedom, and Prospero promises that he will liberate Ariel from servitude as soon as they complete just a few more minor tasks. Now in Act 2, Ariel uses his magic to lead the courtiers away, while Sebastian and Antonio plot to kill the king while he is asleep. Their attempt is foiled by Ariel. All the people from the ship become even more confused and wander aimlessly about the island. In another part of the island, a timid court fool by the name of Trinculo has come ashore and discovered Caliban. Trinculo hides because Caliban is a scary big monster, and the ship's butler, Stefano, finds the two of them. In Act 3 and 4, Stefano, Caliban, and Trinculo become great friends. At Caliban's suggestion, they intend to kill Prospero and make Stefano a lord of the island. But first, they get drunk, because a cask of wine has floated up from the shipwreck right at their feet. Their plan is to kill Prospero, and then take his daughter Miranda for their sexual plaything while they live on this island. Meanwhile, Prospero has relented into giving his blessing for Ferdinand and Miranda to get married. Then he entertains them with a mask of goodness. There's dancing, beautiful joy as these spirits perform a beautiful, magical dance. Then he remembers what Caliban has been plotting, and he decides he must first take care of Caliban. Prospero and Ariel set a trap for these three plotters. Stefano and Trinculo fall for the plot and become distracted by gaudy clothes hanging all about them. After they touch the clothing, they are chased away by spirits disguised as dogs. In Act 5, Ariel brings all the courtiers to the cell where Prospero has been practicing his magic. He reveals himself, and instead of enacting revenge, he forgives them all and accepts in return for his forgiveness his former dukedom. Ferdinand and Miranda are betrothed. The sailors come to announce that the ship is safe. Prospero fulfills his promise and frees Ariel, while Caliban and the drunken servants are all rebuked. Play ends, and everyone goes to celebrate their reunions. And Prospero turns to the audience and asks them quietly to please release him from this play. This is a beautiful play, and I'm going to talk about it on the other side of this short break. So... Thank you for tuning in to Shannon Shakespeare's Sunday as we talk about The Tempest, and I'll see you in just a few minutes. Bye-bye. Right here is where I would say, now for a brief word from our sponsors, but I'm just sitting here waiting for you to put words in my mouth. So, for advertising opportunities, go to 785live.com. Hello and welcome back to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF Digital Radio. Again, I'm Shannon Riley and I'm here to talk to you about William Shakespeare's play The Tempest today. But I'd also love to hear from you. If you would like to send me an email or ask me a question, you can reach me at Shannon at ShannonJRiley.com. That's Shannon at ShannonJRiley.com. Riley spelled R-E-I-L-L-Y. I'd love to hear from anyone. And uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, or other concerns, I'd love to hear them. As you can tell, as I do these 
podcast, I am very, very much a Stradvarian in that I believe William Shakespeare wrote the works of William Shakespeare. He's the only one who makes sense. And this play has his thumbprint all over it. But not only do I think this is a beautiful play, his own fellow actors obviously cherish this play. Remember that Shakespeare's collection of plays were not gathered until after his death. He died in 1616. This wasn't, the first folio wasn't published until 1623. It took his friends, Condal and Hemmings, to gather all of these plays together and put them in or in some order into the folio. When they did this, The Tempest was the first one listed in the comedies, and it was obviously cleanly and delicately typed in. It's so much more exact than any of the other comedies in the play that it shows that not only was this a play that was performed many times, it was a play that his own company revered. Maybe because they realized that this really was a play where Shakespeare was saying goodbye to all of them, and it had a very deep meaning to them all. There's a couple of things I want to talk about and relate to this play, but one of them that I want to talk about is the age that it seems to usher in. In that, there's Shakespeare's Globe Theater, and I've talked about the Globe many times, and there's no doubt that it was a very, very important theater to the King's Men and to William Shakespeare himself. But when William Shakespeare left London, he sold his shares of the Globe Theater, but he kept his shares of another theater, a theater called the Blackfriars. Now, the Blackfriars was a theater that was smaller. It was inside London itself, inside the city of London, rather than outside across the Thames. And it was an indoor theater. This was a very unique and new thing to the Jacobean performers. The Blackfriars was used as a theater for many years prior to the Kingsmen getting a hold of it because it was used by children's companies that would perform various plays and and rather naughty plays even uh, performed by children. But it was considered less immoral if kids did the plays rather than adults. But eventually the law was changed and performing companies could indeed perform inside the city limits of London. After all, they were going to the courts and performing for the king all the time. So once they did, Shakespeare's company bought the Blackfriars and there they started to perform plays. Now, the reason why I bring this up is this changed theater entirely. It went from being something that is done in the afternoon to something that is enjoyed in the evening. Because if you take it inside, you don't have to worry about having enough sunlight. You can use candles. You also don't have to worry about the weather. You don't have to worry about, is it going to snow, rain, or be too hot for your audiences during the day? So you could move indoors. And this was radical to the Jacobeans. And to perform at night was radical to the Jacobeans. Tempest was probably written for the Blackfriars rather than the Globe. Even though in that long quote that I gave you earlier, the Globe is kind of used as a reference, it's really believed that this was performed at the Blackfriars. And this is a hint that there was actually a brand new invention called the intermission. And the intermission happened during the Tempest. Why did they have an intermission? Well, it wasn't to go pee. It was to trade out the candles that had burned down so they could continue on with more light. The reason why we believe this is the invention of the intermission is that Prospero does something unique that he has done in no other Shakespearean play. And that is the main character has left the stage at the end of a scene and re-entered at the top of the next scene. Shakespeare never did that. Why would you just have your main character walk off to turn around and walk right back on and continue a scene? No, the scene would continue. Obviously, there was a break in the action. And that break in the action could have been the first ever intermission during 
the Tempest. I love that idea, that story, because there's so many things that Shakespeare and his company did that are so common to us today, but they were new to the Elizabethans and the Jacobeans. And that's part of what is exciting before I run out of time, because <laughs> I can really lose my time when I'm talking about this show, is what this play can mean to so many different people. First of all, the sources for the play kind of weird. There was a famous shipwreck during this time of a ship by the name of The Venture, and it crashed. It was called The Sea Venture, sorry. And it crashed off the island of Bermuda. It was sailing towards Virginia when it crashed. Many people were lost, but it was very dramatic in terms of those who survived their stories of this sea wreck. And this was something that had captured a lot of the attention in the press in London, the story of these people who survived the crash along Bermuda. So Shakespeare starts the play with this massive shipwreck. He's pulling right from what is contemporary knowledge, gets the excitement of the people who are attending the play, and gets their focus. But he also uses various references from various other plays, including, of course, Metamorphosis, which he uses again and again. But he also uses Commedia dell'arte. Now, Commedia dell'arte is a style of theater, mainly improvisational, that was started by the Italians. And Commedia dell'arte was famous for its characters that set stock characters such as Arlecchino, who was a, a great clown, and his partner, Brigella. And they were always up against Pantalone, who was trying to protect the virginity of his daughter. Well, this is kind of what you see here in The Tempest, too. The clown, Trinculo, uh, along with his best friend, Stefano, the king's drunken butler, all side with Caliban to try to pull one over on the old man and his daughter, Prospero. And he uses the humor, the physical humor of these two dark characters, for the betterment of his play. The side story between Trinculo, Stefano, and Caliban is very compelling, but there's also a very dark side to Caliban. You see, the island once was ruled by a witch by the name of Sycorax, and Sycorax was so powerful and so evil that she captured Ariel and imprisoned him, her, in a tree where she had remained for a very long time until Prospero freed her. Sycorax was also the mother of Caliban, and so when Sycorax died, Caliban certainly assumed he would take over the lordship of this island. Well, he was quickly deposed by Prospero. There is an anger here on Caliban's part. He does not like being a slave on a place where he thinks he once was promised to rule. And this is a statement about colonialism that Shakespeare is making. At this time, European ships were going to the New World, claiming land, claiming control, and bringing back, quote, savages, unquote, to the court to show the wild life that is there in the New World. Shakespeare is making a comment about Prospero here. He's making a comment about Caliban, that as different as he may seem, as monstrous as he may seem, he deserves his own land. It's really ahead of its time in terms of how he treats this secondary character, this monster, Caliban. Yes, Caliban has his viciousness. It's horrible, yes, but he's also greatly repressed and really hates Prospero. The other thing that's so entrenched in this play is again his use of magic and spectacle. This is another reason why I think that this show must have debuted at the Blackfriars. The reason is you need to be inside to control all the spectacle, the magic of light, the magic of moving scenery. This is definitely one of those spectacle shows, and even today, of all of Shakespeare's plays. One, it's one of the most accessible, and two, it is highly driven by spectacle. You'll see massive productions of this done with huge production values. 
I actually worked on this show when I was a graduate student at uh, UMKC. I was assistant director for the production at the Missouri Repertory Theater, and I also had the great pleasure of directing, years later, The Tempest at Topeka Civic Theater. Both times, the desire for spectacle was the most important thing, to be able to play out that storm and play out the wildness of this absolutely gorgeous language. And then there's Ariel. Ariel is a sprite. Ariel desires her freedom, begs for her freedom, and Prospero promises she will have it, but only, only after they finish their tasks. He uses Ariel for her magic, but when he's done, he does set her free. Another message that Shakespeare is making. Because the last thing he does in this play is turn to the audience and say, let me leave. Please free me. Please let me go. Anyone who is an artist knows how hard it is to give up the stage. I had lost theater for seven months of my life, and I thought I was going to go mad. Shakespeare was retiring, and he was leaving it all behind. And he was asking not only the audience forgiveness and willingness to let him leave, but his own desire to see himself let go. It is really beautiful language when he drowns his books, when he says goodbye to everything that is around him. But then there is one final thing I want to talk about, and that is the feminine issue of the play. Here you see, again, no Mrs. Prospero. She's mentioned just having passed. Shakespeare and marriage was not a good combination. And in his very last play, nothing changes about that. He remains steadfast, alone. I cannot help but think that his life when he returned to Stratford-on-Avon was so very different. And his relationship with his beautiful wife must have been incredibly tense. Don't know that. Hope it wasn't, but his writing sure suggests that he did not want a female partner, but he did want a daughter. That daughter had to be three things. That daughter had to be willing to learn, chaste, and love her father. Shakespeare was praying for a doting relationship. When he goes home, he has two daughters waiting for him. One of them marries a doctor, and he befriends that man and tell his death, Shakespeare had good relationships with the Halls. The other daughter married against his wishes, and he disowned her. He cut her out entirely. There's sadness to that to me. It's almost predicted in his own work. In his own work, you see places where he wrote plays about children being divorced from their parents and how horrible it was. And yet this is exactly what Shakespeare does. He demands loyalty. He demands, you follow my will. And one daughter does not. This play kind of languished for a few hundred years. It got done, we believe, a good amount of time during the Jacobean period. But when the theaters got shut down, it was a long time before it was reopened. But ever since it has been reopened, it's been reopened to a giant audience. It's become one of Shakespeare's most produced plays because it fits with our contemporary life so much better than many of his other plays do. Its themes are still very strong. It's themes of interweaving music and dance into a play. It's theme of absolute magical stage presence. It's theme of love and it's theme of forgiveness. Other Shakespeare's, you see revenge, revenge, revenge. But Prospero, who's been stuck on this island for many, many years, <laughs> does not ask for revenge. Just his dukedom back. And he returns them all home safely. So, that's my favorite play of William Shakespeare's. It's called The Tempest. I urge you to go read it or go see it. Experience one of the greatest plays ever written. 
I also love Macbeth, and I wonder what that means about me, that my two favorite plays are one incredibly violent and one incredibly loving. Either way, they're both beautiful, but the tempest almost always wins out, because it is the stuff that such dreams are made on. Thank you for tuning in to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday once again. We'll see you next Sunday, because there's just a couple more plays, not entirely written by Shakespeare, but that Shakespeare was involved in, that we're going to talk about before we close out this series. Thank you all for tuning in, and as always, until next time, keep it barred to the bone. Bye-bye.